Maybe don't know. Maybe don't know. This time, 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 What's up, everybody? I am your host, Chris Hampton. Welcome to episode 66 of the Power Company podcast, brought to you by PowerCompanyClimbing.com. I am sitting here in Lander, about to go to the Hot Springs uh, down the road in Thermopolis, so you guys should be jealous. Just wanted to throw that out there right off the bat. Um, Actually, we just got back from Bozeman, and we had an absolutely amazing time spending a week in Bozeman, uh, working with the the youth team there, and the coaches were great. And uh, and the community there is powerful, man, and and I'm excited to go back sometime soon. So so thanks to all of you in Bozeman uh, for coming out and for being open to coaching the way that you were. It was it was really it was huge for Nate and I. I think. And um, we are headed to Knoxville next week. Um, we'll be working with the youth team there as well. And uh, we'll be doing a group session on Tuesday, December 5th. And we'll be doing our applied body tension workshop on Thursday, December 7th. Uh, that group session, a lot of people have asked what these are. They're just a, an informal bouldering session. We just come in, we hang out, we answer questions. Um, If you wear a wristband, we offer free advice if we see that it's needed. And um, it's just a general good time. Come in and hang out with us. Um, I believe it's free for the members there. So definitely come in, say hello to Nate and I, and um, hang out with us. Come boulder with us. Uh, And then we'll be in Chattanooga on the 9th uh, doing our Applied Body Tension Workshop combined with our guy Paul Corsaro's Kettlebells. That event is actually sold out. However, if you do have any interest, shoot me a message. We will consider doing a second afternoon or evening session if we get enough people who are interested. So shoot me a message if you are. Uh, Today's episode is one that I'm still not even sure it was real, to be honest. Um, this past summer, I started a list of non-climbing, realistic dream guests that I'd like to have on the podcast, and the only name I put on the list before I abandoned it was Dan John. And um, on a whim, I just decided to email Dan and see if he would be available while I was in Salt Lake City, and turns out he was, and he immediately invited me over Uh, to work out in his home gym, which is just about the most intimidating thing I can think of. And actually turned out it wasn't intimidating at all. It's super welcoming there. And and Dan and I got to sit down for a really cool conversation about his new book, his newest book, Now What? Um, If you're a coach, um, if you're an athlete and you aren't hip to Dan John, it's something I suggest that you look into. Um, He's got a very pragmatic approach to training and to life in general, and I think this applies to a lot of facets of our life. So uh, I'm just going to jump into this conversation with Dan, and I'll see you on the other side. 
Maybe don't know. Maybe don't. You don't necessarily perform in training. You practice. The goal is not necessarily to break the world record. The goal is to put yourself on the path to break the world record when they call your name and you perform. start with you know a little bit about the most recent book um sure you know i think i think it's a great question now what you know after after training where people get addicted to training right i mean it's this it's this great thing that people can measure and they love yeah but it's not just that it's i mean okay say okay you just won the olympic gold medal great now what sure you know you just bombed out at the olympics okay now what right and so it's a question that just kept pounding and pounding and we had a hard time kind of uh i think we we're i think it was clear about the it's funny in the book i think the material was there in 1996 i think the only problem is i didn't have a way to explain it right i, I could do it it would take me two or three years but yep. i didn't have the the graph and i didn't have the didn't have it all fleshed out didn't have the names of things but i Mm -hmm. okay here's something you're missing what is he missing uh 2017 no control over arousal level right Uh, back then i'd say well we need more you're not you're not at the right place at meets what does that mean oh you know right okay i don't mean by location i meant you know now i just say on a scale of one to ten and we kind of run through the whole arousal scale and we kind of break that down from there and that seems to help but yeah so now what it's interesting because athletic people don't haven't really gotten a lot out of it but business people love it interesting i'm doing more business workshops now than than fitness in some ways why do you think that is um well, I mean, let's just go through the basics, okay? You know, there's shark habits. You know, you know, if you email me, I answer. If when I open my emails, I answer emails. Right. When you call me, I call you right back. Yep. When you write a letter, like for example, I just did my vote. I just I got my ballot today and I voted. Mm-hmm. I don't sit around and let I don't let things pile up. I think you should have a nightly menu so that when you go shopping, you shop to the menu. Um, checklists things like that so shark habits well i floss my teeth when i drive because uh right next to me on the cubby here i have uh, floss sticks it's fun i've been doing the same thing for several years and 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 when i read it in your book i was like wow i never even recognized it as a shark habit but it is and shark habits for those who miss it one bite and you're done yep and you can go you can walk through any room um i got a great book in there somewhere on decluttering and fat loss and one of the things they're finding is that when people declutter their home, their office, and their lives, very often they lose body fat. Right. Now, why is that? Well, to me, it's the ultimate of shark habits. You know, once you unclutter your brain, once you get all this noise, of course, we're in a kind of a noisy room right here with all this stuff. I should, I cleaned it up last week and then, uh, well, you can always. Life happens. Yeah, well, work happens. Um, <laughs> for those of you who can't see, I got a pretty good collection of books in this little office. Yeah. And they are literally all over the place. And so sometimes when I'm working, I pull out one thing and I pull out another so I can mm-hmm. connect the dots. But I have found that if I declutter a closet, all of a sudden that article I was stumbling on is, makes perfect sense. 
uh, if you declutter your fridge, right, all of a sudden you start eating better. Yeah. So shark habits basically are, is decluttering the nonsense, and it's not even nonsense. It's important stuff. Yeah. It's important stuff, but get it out of your head. Yep. So my email, yes to you, it was important, but it was out of my head. Yep. You know, done with it. And then the next one is, of course, pirate maps that comes from Pat Flynn, and that's these short five to eight bullet point things and whatever whatever changes you want to make in your life you can you make eight bullet points you know right. uh, two set hours, up to your goals basically yeah, two hours 40 go to bed put on your blue blocking glasses you know take your vitamins stop watching game of thrones and hbo right. porn and uh, <laughs> start settling down sleep in an absolutely dark room uh yep. set, make coffee before you go to bed you know uh get sweaty two to three times a week lift weights two to three times a week, uh, eat protein, eat vegetables, drink water. That's not bad. Right. I mean, if you're a trainer and you got every one of your clients to do that, you'd be the best trainer in the world. Oh, yeah, for sure. So that's pirate habits. Most people just, a pirate habit is uh, a pirate map. Pirate map, sorry. Um, go to St. John's Island, walk seven paces west from the white coconut tree, dig six feet down. Right. And there's the buried treasure. That's what most people want. Mm -hmm. Just a simple map to get where they're going. Right. But the problem is, and we'll talk about this more, we'll talk about specifically your climbers. Most people want programs. Yep. And all Absolutely. programs do, it's two to six weeks. If you're really somebody special, 12 weeks. I never see it happen 12 weeks. Mm -hmm. Humans don't go that long. But it's a two to six week fix. Well, unless you have something to fix, why do a program? Just showing up in the gym or doing what you're supposed to do, walk the walk, talk the talk, will take care of most of your things. I call it park, be park bench programs in my work. And but this is what people want. Give me Dan, give me a give me a diet and program. Well, I will, but it's only good for three weeks. If you could pirate map your life, that'll last forever. Mm -hmm. And the last stage, of course, is performance. And right. performance comes down to principles. Uh, principle comes from basically means to take first mm -hmm. so if you want to beat me in the discus you have to throw far and everything i do to defeat you if i throw farther i'm right if i don't throw farther we're wrong sure um, so that's the four parts that's the quadrant of it okay and so with now what you're one of the things i'm trying to get most people do is get their brains out of peaking planning and programming Right. Get their brain because it's not it's not for you. The seven year old grandma doesn't need all that nonsense, the Soviet squat program. Sure. They don't need ninety days of this or that. They need to get sweaty two to three times a week and lift weight. You know, they don't they don't need that, that fancy of a program. If you're an athlete, you better know you better know about performance. And of course with performance, we bring in the other areas like tension, arousal, heart rate, and we can coach those. Right. I can raise your tension levels and you can practice lowering them. We can raise your arousal and you can practice lowering them. Mm -hmm. And then heart rate is one, you know, you can at some level control your heart rate. Now, as a climber, if your heart rate was 190 at the start, I don't know how long you're going to last in that right. climb. Yep. You know, and if your tension is, if you're, <laughs> you get too much arousal, I imagine bad things happen too. Absolutely. I'm guessing, you know, this sounds weird, but discus throwers and climbers would probably share about the same basic tension and arousal level could you be. need a little yeah but not a lot yeah and different types of climbing are definitely different you know 
if it's a really hard short boulder problem where it's you're climbing yeah. 10 feet of really really difficult rock then your tension level needs to be really high more like yeah maybe a, a power lifter shot putter power lifter sure. shot putter yeah. and then for a longer climb it needs to be something toggling back and forth between yeah. tension and relaxation right there's mount olympus behind us and you know if you decide to go screaming up mount olympus mm -hmm. with, like you're about to deadlift you're not, not gonna, gonna go far. real far yeah. you know you might die it might blow up you know yeah so is that helpful as, as just introduction yeah absolutely yeah i think that that gives us a really good basis of what now what is built on and i do want to talk a little bit about the shark habits mm -hmm. first i think these are really important and i've tried to I never had a good word for it. I'm totally going to steal your word here, but You're still I've always a just wolf, so don't worry about it. <laughs> and I've always told everyone just to remove the excuses. Like if you, the the number one goal is to get out there and go climbing. First off, no yeah, matter okay. how much you train, oh, if you bad. don't if you don't go climbing, then it's not going to work. Where, where I would just say this: Where's your gear? Right, exactly. That's that's part of those. Get rid of your excuses. Have your gear packed have it ready, have food ready, you know, take care of the bills early in the week so that you can go climbing on the weekend. There's a good book. I think it's called Ultralight Camping. It's a fun book. I, I like, I study ultralight campers. Okay. Because I, I find them, their problem fascinates me. I, I like problems. Yeah. And these guys, and one of the things they say is you should always have a bag packed, ready to go. Right. So that on a Tuesday afternoon, you're driving home from work and you decide to go for a two-hour quick hike, you don't go home. You don't, where did I put those boots? Where did I put my hat? Where did I put? Right. And so me, for me, shark habits come down for you guys, for, for us. It's like, I can tell you where all my discus, discuses are right now, this guy, but I can mm -hmm. tell you where every single one. I can tell you where every kettlebell is. I can tell you where they are in the rack. I can tell you where all my plates and weights are um, because that's where they are. My training yep. shoes, my my. Uh, I dress, I get ready the night before I train and really all I do is I, I pull out a pair of black shorts and a shirt, mm -hmm. but then I don't have to wear in the morning. It's, it's, they're right there. Right. And the more, like you said, excuses, the more I train probably 200 <clears throat> to maybe even up to 300 workouts a year. Right. And none of it's because I have great self-discipline. It's because it's all set. It's just there. It's already in the routine. Yeah. For example, as we sit here, um, I am sweeping my floors. Yep. Because I have this little robot that is programmed <laughs> to sweep my floors at certain times of the day when I'm usually not here. Right. But <laughs> I like to think, I like to think, his name is Bob, by the way. Okay. Bob the carpet cleaner. I'll say bye to Bob when I leave. And. I, I like to think that at some level, shark habits are like Bob going off at one o'clock in the afternoon. Right. That's just, just what time it goes. Mm -hmm. And the more and the more you can line up things in your career like that, the easier it's going to be. Yeah. I, you know, I see a lot of, uh, I don't like to use the word failure, but I do see a lot of failure when people are trying to fit their workouts into this schedule that's constantly changing and if they just built their schedule around their workout had their workout at a set time once you get in that habit you just do it every day well 
I know of a guy who says that you don't have people first work out. You have them put their shoes on every day. Mm, yeah. For one week, you put your shoes on, and people all laugh. And of course, nobody, none, no one listening is going to do that. Sure. Of course, they want to go straight to the thing. Yeah, and that's fine. But it, you have to build, you have to build the sub habits before you can have. You know, the reason I work out every day is that people show up at my house at nine thirty. Right. I don't have any self discipline. They show up, we work out. Yep. You know, well, why does Bob go? Why do I clean my floors every day? Because well, Bob goes off, you know, and I see it the same way. So that's what shark habits are. It's, it'll be unclear to you until you start to kind of either, there's a couple things that'll help you. Uh, I think you should have a to-do list every day. Mm-hmm. I, and the one thing I've noticed with to-do lists, when I write them down for the next day, that there's usually three or four things that I wonder why I didn't just already do it. Right. Email, right. you know, email John. Well, why don't you just do it right now? Yep. And pretty soon you find that your your to-do list is just stuff you should have already to done. Mm-hmm. You know? So that's where I start. You know, that that you look at the daily to-do list and you'll find, and then the next area is you step back and you look at clutter. Clutter in your computer, clutter in your life, clutter on your walls, clutter, 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 clutter. Yeah. Because the more clutter you are, the more cluttered you are, the harder it is to swim. So you're here you're telling me you want to become an elite athlete, but you're swimming your way every day through the same nonsense. You can never find your workout clothes. Right. Well, man, clean your room. Yeah. I think that clutter comes down to goals too. A lot of people yeah. have 50 different goals of all sorts and shapes and sizes and can't keep them all straight. And when you slide over to performance, it's real hard to have more than one. Yeah. My God, you know, I tried to be, I tried to balance Olympic lifting with discus throwing. And, uh, you know, I, it worked for a while and then I just blew up. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the phrase we use is if you're chasing two rabbits, you go home hungry. Right, right. So how many rabbits are you going to chase? Um, just one. If you want to be great. Yeah. Now, if you're, if you're a gentleman climber, a gentleman discus thrower, sure. great. Yep. But I'm going to beat you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or whatever you know yeah and a lot of people point to guys like bo jackson or deon sanders yeah, name were, another one. <laughs> yeah. exactly yeah exactly but those are two guys you know and not all of the nfl players were also great major league yeah. baseball players the weirdest you know? thing about work with nfl guys and any team is that when i go into the room i'm the smallest slowest weakest person anywhere else in the world i'm the strongest fastest biggest person right i can definitely say you're the biggest person i've ever interviewed because we're climbers and yeah. we're little so <laughs> yeah and uh, it so when you talk about these you know once in a generation freaks mm-hmm. you, you, that, but that's what happens and so many parents will look at their kids and say well you know it's very difficult to chase two rabbits yeah you know if you don't mind as soon as we can get into weightlifting itself that's the biggest problem your climber community has now, there's two problems but that's one of them they don't when they go into the weight room, they don't know what they're chasing. Let's talk about it. Okay, let's talk about it. Um, since 1975, and actually probably more like 1951, bodybuilding has been the paradigm of my field. Mm-hmm. And in 1975, Arnold, the Education of a Bodybuilder, came out. And then that's when leg day, arm day, right, trap right. day, soleus day, pancreas yep. day all showed up. It's when... Uh, going for the burn and uh, all all elements of hypertrophy showed up. Now, it's true, back in 51, DeLorme uh, talked about hypertrophy with his wounded uh, 
uh, soldiers and sailors and Marines, but he was also talking about power too. Mm-hmm. But by 1975 and certainly by the 80s, weightlifting has been, uh, and, and the phrase I use from theology is the steno symbol. Right. It means it has one meaning. One meaning. So when you work in this, I uh, got a call just before you got here. Um, young man wants to be a sprinter and he's, he's struggling with in the weight room. And I'm like, okay, well, pa- pardon is his, the problem is his paradigm is bodybuilding. Right. So he's doing curls, tricep extension, forearm work. Yeah. He's adding all this mass. Of course, if you're a sprinter, you know, every, it's like a climber, every ounce you put on, you got to deal with, it's called physics, you know? Sure. And, and so what I'm trying to convince him is get as strong as you can. And all of a sudden there was a gap in the phone call. It was like the phone connection. What what (laughs) do you mean by that? I go, well, you got to get as strong as you possibly can in the least amount of work. So I came out with this book called Easy Strength and programs like the 40-day program and even easier strength. It's funny. They're all the exact same thing, but I keep trying to explain it better and better to people. Sure. And so they keep getting different names. The 40-day program is real simple. For the next 40 days, pick five lifts. Do them. Mm-hmm. And people say, well, how's that going to work? Well, I don't know. But you, I mean, if you decide to go, I mean, and, and you do the, the rule of 10, so never more than 10 total lifts. So three sets right. of three, five sets of two, two by five. For your community, that's what they should be doing. You know, they should probably pick a big, well, pull up. It wouldn't be a weighted pull up would be great. Yep. A press to, you know, to go opposite. Yep. So a press, a pull up. Um, yeah, we really like overhead presses. Yeah, okay. We love heavy pulls. And um, a deadlift. deadlifts. Some, a deadlift yep. of some kind. And then what I'd have, I mean, for you guys, you might not need anything. Maybe a heavy power curl. It's a, cur- a, a, a curl grip. With, it's a, a curl, with a wide grip. You're using your whole body to make it. Okay. So like a power clean or Olympic yep. lift yep. with a curl grip. Because, you know, just to get you strong and explosive if you have to jump. Sure. And then... Two sets of five in the ab wheel, something very small like that. I mean, so press, pull up, deadlift, that weird power curl, and uh, an, an ab wheel, and you do that every day for the next forty days. And the idea is never miss a rep, right. just keep getting stronger. Mm-hmm. And people raise their hand at the workshop. Well, will that build muscle mass? Okay. Let's go back. How many rabbits we chase in here? Just one. How many sports really need muscle mass? Now, it's true. American football, rugby. Right. And probably if you're a professional wrestler because you have to look a certain way. Right, right. Okay, keep going. I mean, there is no bodybuilding contest in track and field. In fact, that's one of the things that track and field finally came to grips with a while ago is quit bodybuilding. These guys would finish a race and flex. Right. Well, good for you. <laughs> and the poor thing is the high school kids see that and start doing it too. Sure. So the biggest problem most of your listeners are going to have is that their worldview of what we call the weight room is bodybuilding. Yep. And they they probably can't even hear me say that sentence. And that's, that's the hardest thing. And I, the joke I usually use to explain this is the word gay. The word gay means happy. Sure. The word gay means happy. The word gay means happy. Go home tonight and say, Mom, Dad, I'm gay. Guarantee. Right. Even if you say gay, because the word in 2017 has a steno symbol. So I can sit down with somebody, look them in the eye and say, there are other kinds of weight training that aren't bodybuilding. 
and they'll go like this and then go over do skull crushers for three sets of 10. Mm -hmm. And it's hard to break people out of it. So with, with your community, like for example, if we're doing uh, pull-ups, you know, load yourself up so that, you know, it's hard to do five sets of two in the pull-up. Um, the next day, unload it and do five sets of two in the pull-up. And the third day, find a middle weight, something middle and do five sets of two. And pretty soon, your pull-up's going to shoot through the roof. Why? Because weightlifting, uh, strength training and flexibility training are both neurological. It's the nervous system. We're training our nervous system. After a while, the load and the reps suddenly make the body have to do a super compensation, an adaption, and that starts the hormonal release. Right. And that's when good things tend to happen. Mm-hmm. But for many in your audience, they don't they don't need those they don't need mighty pythons on their arms. Right. They need strong fingers. Well, how do you build strong fingers? We well, build strong fingers probably by doing those little doorway pull-ups and the, right. the little gripper thing and stuff like that. But I can guarantee everybody who does good work on the grippers probably didn't leap up on a wall first day and hang by one finger. Right. How'd, how'd you do it? Built it up over time. Built it up over time. That's my whole field. Build it up over time. And yet, no one can hear me because they're in that worldview, the paradigm, right. the steno symbol of bodybuilding. Yeah, I think that's really important. And a lot of, I, I mean, I do see that happen pretty often that when clients come to us, their their experience in the weight room, if they have any, is three sets of 10. You know, they're, they're doing curls, they're doing skull crushers, they're doing yeah. that kind of stuff. Um, we have had some success in getting people to embrace the bigger lifts. You know, um, there are a few coaches, uh, Steve Bechtel and Lander, where I'm also at, and uh, my partner, Paul Corsaro, who are, who really advocate for the big lifts. And, and I, and we're definitely seeing some, some change over there. So it's pretty exciting to see that happening. Um, quick question for you on the, the thoughts about the rep schemes. I know a lot of people get really tied into having to add a half a pound on their next workout and yeah. things like that. You know, where do you stand on these kind of things? The problem with linear in every aspect of life, mm -hmm. it's, it's, it's the, it's the beginner's high, right? You can't keep it. It's not sustainable. So you're going to bench press hundred pounds today. And next week we're going to add 10. So let's see, that's 10 pounds a week. How many weeks are in a year now? 52, I think. Is that right? So at the end of the year, you're going to bench press 620 pounds? Right. Well, that's linear. According to what you said, it should work. Mm -hmm. Nothing in life is linear. Right. You know, um, I'm at the age where I pulled in, I got all my retirement, my uh, individual retirement, all that. And when I look back at it from, what, 81 or 80 when I first started it, um, you'll notice that it, it grew a lot. But it grew uh, in fits and starts and probably, the, you know, boom, 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 yep. boom, boom, yep. boom and bust. And that's kind of how everything that's worthwhile in life works. And you you know, just stick it out through that. Yeah. I mean, that's yep. what you, I mean, the, the best advice I have for coaching is the best advice I have for uh, <laughs> relationships. The best advice I have for uh, um, 
gosh, finance, lifting, everything, uh, little and often over the long haul. Yeah. You know, you just then you just that's so when I tell people about weightlifting, and it, you know, but let's be honest, we are fighting television commercials that go on twenty four hours a day in hotel rooms. You know, any you know, ninety day promises. You know, right? Where these people are, are promising, I wouldn't say overnight results. Uh, Charles Staley's famous book: uh, Add an inch, instantly add an inch to your arms in two weeks. <laughs> And I got nothing because because I understood what he was saying, but yeah. Uh, so we know that it doesn't work, but so what we're dealing with in this case then is that people are hearing this nonsense, and you hear it long enough. I mean, you know, you start to believe it. You know, uh, I was watching some of the stuff about the, the election the past year. If you repeat a lie often enough, pretty soon people think it's true. Sure. And it doesn't matter whether or not it is. It, it, and so there is a big lie in my industry. It is that you can have quick results. Right. Now, I think you'd have easy results. Mm-hmm. It just takes two years to do it. And yep. I work with people who have lost 100 pounds in a year. And it's stunning what their plans are versus what you see on television. Right. Really simple, bare oh. bones. I, I went for a walk every day. Wait, and? Oh, then I started drinking two glasses of water a day. And you lean in like, and that was it. Oh, you know. um, But but we're faced in in the world I live in with this idea that, A, it's all quick results, and B, it's it's bodybuilding. So when you talk about something like linear periodization, it – but I guarantee everybody who's learned how to do certain things, I've heard the same thing about skateboarding. I'm sure it's the same with climbing, is that you fall into these weird plateaus yep. and you didn't get nothing and you get nothing. I yep. got good advice years ago to fall in love with plateaus. Okay. You embrace a plateau, love the plateau. Because the plateau means that somewhere down the line is another leap. Sure. So instead of fighting the plateau, Say, this is just great. Here's my skill set. I'm so happy. But don't try to pound your forehead against the plateau. Just go with it and just then add it. Master where you're at. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the book Mastery is based on that concept too. Right. Was it John Jerome Mastery? Not sure. George Leonard, maybe. Sure. One of those two, yeah. But the idea is, you know, the knock on linear periodization is is that you are some kind of little machine that's just going to get better and better and better and better. And that doesn't always happen. Things flatline. You know, whenever I see projections about anything, and, and I know, you know, things can get worse, things can get better. But when you sit down with the guy who's trying to sell you a life insurance policy with all this money you'll have because of this, and they show you this projection, you always just got to go, Okay. Right. Really? You're going to guarantee me seven point? Well, we can't guarantee you. Yeah. Well, We're guessing that that's what it's going to yeah. be. Because yeah. it used to do this. And it's yep. just not true. So that's, that's, that's a tough issue. That's a tough issue. Yeah. I think it's tough for people to break out of that habit. And, and it, you know, I, I understand that desire to be able to measure your progress. And, and you talk about in now what, you know, find something to measure measure it and then apply practice and technique to it and 
then decide whether it was a good measurement or not. Right. You know, and and I like the simplicity of that. Just find something to measure that's applicable and measure it, you know. Well, I tell you one thing, personal trainers hate it. I mean, I tell them, you know, measure people's waistline in centimeters because there's more wiggle room in centimeters. Right, okay? right. You know, 104, 103, 102, 100 sounds much better than 42, 16th of an inch. Seventh, eighth, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. Uh, but the thing is, if the person is making progress, that thing should go 104, 103, 102, 100, maybe 98, right. 97, maybe back up to 100, maybe, because that's the, the way things happen. But at least you have a measurement. The nice thing about being a track and field athlete is there's this number. Right. And I assess you simply by that number. Mm-hmm. Now, in other sports, I don't always see it as clearly. It's tough in climbing. I can imagine. Um you know, because things are so subjective difficulty wise, it's tough for us to, to accurately measure, but there are things we can measure. How much weight can you do with a, uh, you know, your max pull up yeah. or how long can you hang on to a three quarter inch edge? You know, things like that you can measure. And what I think is important is to note that you're not necessarily measuring your training you're measuring to see how your training is working. Right. So it's not those half pound plates that you add every time. That's not the measuring you're looking for. You're looking to every four, six, eight weeks, whatever it is, measure to see how your progress is coming. It'd be interesting to see what you would consider standards in your field. We're working on that, actually. That's something we've struggled with for a while that we're trying to figure out. Well, you know, as a discus thrower, I mean, I'll tell a young discus thrower, you, know, you bench 400, you snatch 250, you clean 300, you squat 450. Why aren't you throwing international distances? Because mm-hmm. that's the standard for international throwing. Right. So your problem isn't here in the weight room with me. Your problem is out there in the field of play. So the upside of standards is it allows me to kick people out of the weight room. Well, not, but you know. Just to say, this isn't where you need to focus yeah. your time. Okay, you, you keep coming into the weight room to do skull crushers and concentration curls. Right. This isn't your problem. We're not your problem. Yep. Because the measurement in track and field is beautiful. There's one called the tape measure, and there's another one called the stopwatch. And yeah. That's not bad. You can see these things, and I can tell you that you're up to standard in my area. Mm-hmm. you got to get up to standard out there. Right. What it takes to do that, you know, is, well, I can be complicated but yeah yeah and that's something we've really been trying to boil down and figure out you know we've we've been using two-time body weight deadlift oh, perfect yeah um one and a half time body weight pull Ooh. Um, and i think body weight press is where we've been at for women okay and body weight for women bench press oh okay not oh. overhead and so then that's rare air for female. Yeah. yeah. And then one and a half for men, I think was the that's a good size lift too, man. was where we were at. Might those, even have been just body weight. Yeah. Those are high. But what I would tell you to do is with the men for sure, go overhead, uh, the military yep. Yeah, yep. for sure. And that'll bring those numbers down too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But the, I agree with those, you know, the other thing too, is I, I in your field is someone spending probably more than, 12 to 15 minutes in the weight room they're probably just 
spinning. That's what they used to say in the fifties. Muscle spinning is what they called it. Mm-hmm. You're you're just what do you, you're wasting your time. You know, if you're doing two sets of five and five exercises, you shouldn't be in there very long. Right. But every well, and because every minute you're in the weight room, I, I always tell people it's like you walk in and I slice your sandbag and you're slowly dripping sand out. Most people like to go back, th- try to throw more sand in. It's, but no, get in, get out, take care of what you need to do. But that's that's hard. It, it goes against this this kind of weird thing we have in the United States about work ethic. Yeah. Uh, yeah. More is always better. More has to be better. Yeah. Because I I work sixty hours a week. So what? I work six. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Maybe you know. <laughs> the the thing is how you know how much. How many people are you serving? The more people you serve, the more money you make. Right. So even though you're working 60 hours a week, you're in a rotisserie baseball league, you're in a fantasy football league, you look at porn on internet at work, uh, you 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 know you get up for coffee every 45 minutes. You're not working. Yeah, you're in the office, but you're not getting anything done. Mm-hmm. That's actually not a bad way to explain that. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And you say in here that, in now what that focusing on principles is actually a shortcut and i think that's really cool because everyone's looking for a shortcut everybody wants that shortcut and in reality the shortcut is the thing that no one really wants to do is focus on the principles we're all so interested in these little tiny measurements and little tiny numbers and little tiny details we're talking about performance then right yeah yeah well john heisman 1931 American football, block, tackle, fall on the ball. If you focus on those three things, you still do pretty good in football. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it, what it does is what when you're in performance, if you focus on the principle, you get so much more clarity. Right. So. And you can create pirate maps, as you call them, out of those principles. I mean, I think that's the way we see it. Like You certainly you- could. Yeah, you could certainly do that. Yeah, especially as things get a little more, like for example, for us with discus throws, it's pretty simple. You throw and you lift, and that's really all you do. Right. Yes, you should. Should I do sprinting? Yeah, that's fine too. But really, it's throw and lift. Could I do? You know, should I play volleyball? Yeah, that's fine. But it's not. You know. Right. You'll probably get more out of playing chess than you do get. You know. But yeah. So, but people love more, more, more. Mm-hmm. But the beauty of principle, principle focused is that it gets you right, right to the point, you know, yeah. instead of all this other nonsense. Yeah. And that's, you know, we were trying to come up with the principles for climbing better based on your ideas. Well, let's try this. You know, I, I've asked this question a million times. I've never asked it with a climber. What are the three keys? And don't give me five. I said three to being a great climber. What we came up with. Ah, good boy. Good job that I like is commit and move efficiently and hold on. So I can help train two of those three. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So now what you would do with that is you would probably star uh, star. um, So you put, you put, hold on you put hold on and then you just cluster ideas out of it right and then you keep trying to run through these ideas and i would even you know take see how my hand is washing so i'm washing out the ones that are pretty good keep those for a while but if you find something better dump pretty good 
Yep. You keep want to keep clarifying it, clarifying it, so that maybe you come on to three. If you don't mind, let's hold on, okay? What are the three, if you said hold on, right? Yep. So what are the three best tools for teaching holding on? Uh, I would say you want the technical like term that what we I, use for matter, the tool. Yeah. So a hangboard, which is okay. the edges that you're talking about yeah. hanging on to. Um, and any sort of tool that you can use to hang on for a long period of time while moving huh. um, so that the, your forearms build up lactic acid. You're, and you get used to it. You Yeah, exactly. You learn to use it better. You learn to climb in that situation better. That helps you hold on. And then I think the other aspect of it, which you can build in both of those, is a mental component of, like I just said, learning how to um, rather than your body adapting your mind has to adapt to it as well so the thing i'd ask okay if i'm coaching you if we're we're doing this as i'm mentoring you where's where's your pegboard was it pegboard hangboard where's your hangboard i have one that i hang up on the porch outside when i'm working out every day you're following what i'm trying to say yep if you say oh keep it nearby um well it's a or where you're working out it's down and you know it's down you know it's not it's far at. it's about if traffic's bad though it's about a three hour commute well you never yep. use that thing i actually have one in my car right now okay so what you want to have <laughs> is so the question is just uh, how often do you use it is it in a place that's usable you know i mean right it, in my house if i was working here i'm not i'm not a climber sure you know, but i'd put it right there and every time i went up and down those stairs i'd probably try to hang a few seconds yep or whatever the proper mm-hmm. amount is whatever that number is yep. yeah and so for the listeners i'd like to just kind of remind them that this is the process you go through when you're trying to peel back performance to its elements and then at the end of this assignment you here's you had three things and you break them down to the, the three best tools then you sit back and say well where is this in my program when um now if one of them's absolutely glaring i don't do this that's when we step down to that other area called planning peaking right take that's where you figure out the program to make this is where we're going to take okay you got a 12 week uh hangboard assignment Mm -hmm. you got a 12 week upside down rope climbing or you know whatever the thing is right that's when you add a program in if you've got all so there's three concepts and you, there's nine things. If you've got all those pretty much wired in, then I would argue, well, let's look on the let's look at the next bubble out. Uh, the okay, so Pareto's law, eighty twenty, right? So those nine things are probably going to take up twenty percent of your training time, but they're going to give you eighty percent of the bang, right? The, they, these are the biggest bang for the buck. Is that right? Mm-hmm. If it's not, now let's look at that other twenty percent we're getting where where can we what's the other things that we're missing it could be you got you need to up your gear right you right spend more better money shoes gear, might better work shoes or... you might maybe maybe you need to spend time with better climbers maybe you need to yeah for sure you know go to france and you know see a different style you've never seen before mm-hmm. you know expand your mind you know that, a lot about climbing for not being a climber <laughs> do you know a guy named mark twight yeah, yeah, yeah. He's one of my good friends. Oh, great. Yep. Mark and I have uh, have had many a conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think Kiss or Kill is one of the most uh, uh, enlightening books I've ever read. Yep. 
uh, it's not my world. Sure. But it, it really illuminated some things in my head. Um, yeah, and I think climbing is a basic skill sport. I mean, it's like all the other skill sports where you've got a lot of different moving components on the field of play. And, you know, you have to figure out how to make all those things work together yeah. effectively. But see, as a head football coach, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch the game film and I'm going to say, how many missed tackles do we have? And the assistant will say three. What was the final score? He'll say 21 to nothing. So let's look at those three plays where right. we missed tackles and let's find out. And then we, uh, it's in the book. I, I don't, the, the section might have been lost on some people, but you ask the linebacker, why did you miss the tackle? And there's a story there mm -hmm. on that play. He was trying to help his buddy out who was getting blown out. Then you ask the buddy what was going on. Coach, I was exhausted. Why didn't you come out? Oh, I heard I never get a chance to play if I took myself out. No. <laughs> Okay, so we, okay, the whole team, you're tired, tap your helmet with your right hand, we'll sub you right out as fast as we can. Yep. So we didn't miss a tackle. We missed, as a coach, we failed because we weren't clear on things. So when you run through your performances and you look at things later, if you're performance-based, you fall back on those three things. You, you, you make this climb. You go down to El Capitan, that's a big, that's a yep. That's and a major. You, yep, in California. Yeah, it's a major big one, right? That's kind of a badge on it, right? Yep. Certain climbs on it, right? Yep. So you finished El Capitan, and as we sit back and review a couple days later, the first three things I'm going to go back is block, tackle, fall, on the ball. Right. Those three things we talked about. And then you could probably maybe share some experiences. Okay, here, and you maybe circle here, here, and here. I I was falling apart and then we could okay and the, okay here are gaps that we need to work on right so that's how i that's that's what now what is all about you did climb el capitan god bless you you're wonderful but as we broke it down later those are the three things we break it down in. it could be nice to use time but time i'm not sure time and i know that you know like mark with the rapid ascent stuff i know right. i mean i understand that too mm -hmm. but when we throw in safety and things like that, you know. Yeah, time's not generally a thing that we are super concerned about. Yeah. So you come back to those three big things that you pointed out today, mm -hmm. and we keep coming, we keep coming back to those three things. And when you when you feel like you weren't up to your standard, it, usually it's crystal clear to you there is a story, but but by why you weren't up to your standard. Right. And very funny, the story sometimes is two weeks before this happened. Sure. Two yeah. days before. I didn't get a good night's sleep. Mm -hmm. uh, usually I have magic magic chalk from, you know, Happy Valley. <laughs> right. But right. I had to, I couldn't afford it this time, so I had Bob's magic chalk. Right. You didn't put it on a checklist and shark habit it, so you don't have it. Yeah, yeah exactly. It, by the way, it's funny. It does come back to shark habits sometimes. Yeah, I think it does. Yeah. I think a lot of this that we're talking about, especially when we go into those, you find the gaps and then what's the story that yeah. that's there, a lot of it does come back to a shark habit that didn't get done or wasn't shark habited or right. however you would say it. Um, something on your checklist didn't get checked off. And that's that was where it failed, not right there in that performance. I learned that uh, my freshman year, we're down at the uh, conference uh, 
track meet at Hartnell College, junior college. And one of our sprinters called a group of us over and he was afraid to tell the head coach this. But see, he had forgotten his shorts. So he had his sweatpants on, but he didn't. All he had on was a jock. Right. So <laughs> fortunately, because we were a team, you know, we were able to fix that problem in a group huddle about 20 seconds before the race. Yeah. So he was, instead of doing his bounces and jumps, he was putting on a pair of shorts. And that's the moment I realized that's really kind of important to take an extra minute or two to look through your bag before yeah. you go to a track meet. Yeah. yeah, yeah, have it all together. Yeah, and that's a shark habit. That could have been fixed two days before. Yeah. yeah. You, you make another point about principles that I think is super important for climbers because we're in a sport that's so hard to measure your success and and it's a, a never-ending scale you know there's right. always going to be a rock climb that's that you can't do you know there always will yeah. you there are no world records so to speak or anything like that so you say focusing on principles allows a different measure of victory and I think that's really important that I said that you did say that that's really quite good. Yeah. <laughs> <It is good. laughs> wow. Damn. Yeah. That even if you don't win the Super Bowl or, you know, or don't win the world series or whatever, that doesn't mean you weren't successful. Right. Yeah. See, that's the one thing we kind of have as an issue in the United States, I think, especially in the last little bit, is we, we have begun to define success in a, in a way that I don't think is sustainable as a culture. The person who dies with the most toys wins. Right. So I'm not sure that's a sustainable model. So uh, I go to the nationals. You're younger, taller, faster, stronger on anabolic steroids, so much so your eyes are yellow, and you defeat me. Well, according to the United States model right now, you're better. Well, my argument would be, well, let's look 40 years down the line. Right. You know, and that's a hard thing. Success, and really that'd be the fascinating thing about you climbers. Um, you're right. There's there's always going to be, you know, another mountain, another challenge, and and someone younger, prettier, yep. sc scooting it up faster. Yeah, I mean, nowadays there are 13, 14-year-old kids who are the best climbers in the world, so... You know, where you're you're over the hill in this sport once you're yeah. nineteen, twenty. I remember the snowbird when snowbird used to have that climb. Yep. They yep. still do that on the side of the building. Yeah, no, they don't do it anymore. It was the first big major competition held in the U.S. Though. Yeah, it was a, it was a fascinating thing because it was a ba it was a it was based on speed, right? It was based on part of it was based on speed. They do speed climbing, but the part that most climbers are interested in is based on difficulty. <sighs> Oh, so the big the big leaps that we have to really kind of yep, or small holds, difficult moves, yeah, and okay. then if two people do the same difficulty, then they go down to speed to sort of break that tie. Ah, okay, wow. So you're you're looking, you're looking for the hardest route. Looking for exactly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and a lot of you know, like I mentioned, bouldering earlier, and there are a lot of boulders here in Salt Lake what they do is they rarely climb higher than 15 feet but they're looking for the hardest single movements that they can do yeah so it's always looking for something harder something right harder. so 
like skateboarders, uh, I always found from my conversation with skateboarders, when the X Games showed up and they started having competitive skateboard, mm-hmm. it seemed to go completely counter to what the skateboarders had told me the culture of skateboarding was. Right. What they told me it was, <clears throat> was that you were this ongoing quest to kind of be challenged to the next movement. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't competitive. They had, I mean, they had their own hierarchy and they had, right. So, you know, if I'm, all I can do is roll down a hill, I'd be in a different, and it was interesting because when, once they pushed it to this X games thing, it did it. I, I think it as an observer, not as a, sure, I, sure. I have no dog in this fight. I, okay. You don't go skateboard every day, nah, but it seemed <laughs> to kill the, the key to the culture of the sport of skateboarding. That's a concern with climbing as well. Uh, a lot of fascinating isn't yeah it? a lot of climbers feel the same way that competitive climbing isn't climbing so, so. my little observation was spot on absolutely <laughs> i got yeah. something right there you go but it's <laughs> you know there are sports that by nature are are me versus you and, and that's what yeah. they are yeah you know but what I've always enjoyed about oh, probably showed started showing up in the seventies, this new style of sport that really it's a kind of us against this it thing. Yeah. This, yeah. It, I like yeah. that us versus it. And we were actually, we were actually walked with each other. Yeah. And it's really us versus ourselves yeah. in those occasions. Right. You know, the, this immovable thing will always be, be there yeah you know it doesn't change we have to change you know know, a sport that's actually oddly similar now there's competitive but is the sport of olympic lifting Mm -hmm. if you went to a weightlifting meet and let's just say you're a brand new guy do you want pounds or kilos um let's do pounds that's what most people in the audience will know and uh, how much do you weigh uh around 147 okay so you weigh 147 okay and your opening attempt is with 110 pounds in the clean and jerk. So okay. you're a real novice. Yep. And you get it and you come up after and you're nervous and scared because 120 is your personal record. Right. And you make 120. The crowd loves it. Right. Because everybody has walked that walk in right. Olympic lifting. Sure. Well, it's the strangest thing. I. I have this small love affair with Olympic lifting because of that. This understanding that you walk on the platform that way. It's, it's you. It's that's by the way, it's very unnerving. Olympic lifting is very unnerving. Oh, sport. sure. Yeah. Cause it's just you and a barbell. Yep. You can't say the judges got you. You can't say that uh, he he's on drugs because it's, it's just a bar. Right. And I mean, once it gets competitive, things change a little bit. Sure. But that's the one thing I always thought was beautiful about the sport of Olympic lifting, how happy we are for each other mm-hmm. that you got your best, you know, just, yep. and it can be a 400 pound clean and jerk or a 200 pound cleaner. It just doesn't matter. Yeah, yeah, it's definitely that way with climbing. You know, you watch you watch someone who's at a, a lower technical or difficulty level than you are, but they're still putting in the same amount of effort that yeah. you are and and fighting to reach their personal best. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever read the book um, uh, Millionaire Mind. No. I think I might even quote it now. What? It's, it's a thing I, I read in 2008, I guess, where this idea that 
very wealthy people, if you if you make this big business deal, we're both millionaires. I don't go, eh, damn you, you jerk. I go right on, man. That is so good to hear. Right. The wealthy tend to really be hyper supportive of other wealthy people getting wealthier. Mm-hmm. It, by the way, this concept doesn't trickle down to the rest of us. Right. Sure. So I, I went to a track meet out after reading this and I told my discus throwers and my shot putters, javelin, the whole one, in fact, that hurdlers, that they too. I don't care how you do today, but I want you to cheer like mad, crazy for your teammates to throw their best. Well, we swept the men's and women's discus. We almost swept the shots, but with some, there's another kid from my school. Every athlete I had that day got a personal record. It was the most insightful thing that ever happened. Right. Because once we started cheering for each other, good things happened. Yeah, that community support is huge. Yeah. And it was such a different way to look at track and field that it really changed my whole coaching. It was interesting because later that season, I had both daughters at the state final in the track meet. And what I saw was fascinating because my daughters are competitive with each other. Sure, sure competitors but i could see them and i applauded each other and getting the other one going yeah and i thought boy this is not just a good coach lesson this is a good life lesson sure and i think it'd be interesting to see where your sport heads as the competitive side the sponsorships will show up money it's, will show up it's ramping up i mean the olympics it's going to be in the next Olympics, so and the, a lot more money's coming into the sport. And and, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, you know, though you, every sport always has the fringers. You know, the the the, the lunatic fringe right, you know, right, who are right. not going to ever sell out. But what's going to happen to your sport is the next thing you know, you'll see some fourteen-year-old boy showing up with his hat on backwards with the logo, and you know, all logoed up on his shirts and. Mm-hmm. Uh, there'll be you'll have climber moms who oh yeah they're coming for sure yeah they're gonna show up and yeah yeah and and it's though i do i i wish it wouldn't happen but you see it it does happen yeah and because espn has to fill 20 stations with sure something you know sure yeah let's let's get back i'm sorry oh no no that's that, that thing the millionaire mind book might be worth the read just for that section. Yeah, I'll check it out for yeah, sure. Just that you might get it at the library or something like that. Just that section. Just change change the way I coach. Yeah. Well, I believe in that. I believe in that community and that encouragement and that sort of tribe atmosphere. Mm. You know, I, we definitely try to promote that within the power company, which is our, sure, our climbing okay. group. And I mean, I think it's helpful and we see it out at the cliff and some of my favorite moments out climbing are when i'm having a you know a particularly great moment and everyone stops what they're doing to cheer me on or someone else is having a great moment and i get to stop what i'm doing to cheer them on you know those are the those are the best moments for sure yeah do you try to create that in the weight room at all yeah very much so my gym style is called intentional community Mm-hmm. So this week, uh, some I have some friends from Scotland visiting, right? And it's been <laughs> they've been wonderful, but they showed up and didn't know how to do certain lifts that we pretty good at. Sure. So what we're doing this week is that we're all going back to the fundamentals. 
-hmm. Yesterday was a Turkish get up, an hour of Turkish get up work. I tell you, man, by the time I got food in me, I was on a buzz. Well, oh, I wish I'd have been here for that. Well, you're always welcome, 9.30. Okay. Today was uh, a one-hour build-up to the bent, bent press, this archaic oh, yeah. lift. That, yep. But the thing is, even now, I still feel like I've been torn and ripped back into place. You know? uh -huh. And so intentional community means when you show up at the gym, you don't know how to do a lift or you're about to do this experience. We all work with you to get you there. And I, I learned this when I first moved to California in 2010, met a guy named Dan Martin and he just wanted, he wanted to rebuild himself. In fact, there's often discussions online of the Dan Martin program minimum for one year. He did the exact same basic workout 365 days yep. and rebuilt himself. And that's why I tell you, I love that. There's two parts of that story. I like one humbling yourself in two 365 days i love those two parts yeah so what we learned is you'd show up and you're getting ready for a thing well okay you got six weeks we'll we'll do it with you mm -hmm. so if we have someone getting ready for a kettlebell cert we have to do that 100 reps with the 24k right we might i might not do all three sets of 100 that's one of our workouts it's a hard one but i'll do one set with you bob will do one set with you mike will do one set with you so you're not out there alone Yep. There have been times where I've done all three. I've learned not to do that as much anymore. <laughs> Don't do that. <laughs> it's all nice to be nice until it's not nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so to me, that's, that's how I foster it in the weight room. Um, I, I think the, this, the, so the concept is intentional community. Yeah. We get together, we get together to eat, to talk, to be friends and to train uh, they come to help me at 60 years of, old, of age to keep working out and keep swinging the bat. Yeah. Uh, I offer them facilities and a fair amount of knowledge. This person offers this extra tool, they just, this book they just read, this story they heard, this blog post that they read this morning. Right. Everybody has a, a hand in it. Right. I tell you, everyone brings something to the table. Everyone brings something. And I tell you yeah. that... Um, in the last seven years, I've had, in many ways, the best workouts of my life. Training sessions. Check that. Best training sessions of my life. Mm -hmm. And it's completely changed the way I look at competition. You know, uh, you see a little bit in the books. But the idea now, and I got good at this towards the end of my career. When you called my name and I stepped into the ring, I got bigger. I got better. I performed. You don't necessarily perform in training. Right. You practice. Yep. You get better. It's okay to have a beautiful moment in training. There's no uh -huh. Sure, sure. But the goal is not necessarily to break the world record. The goal is to put yourself on the path to break the world record when they call your name and you perform. Right. So that was the big breakthrough for me, you know, among a few other things in the last few years. Yeah. yeah you say in the book several times that performance needs to be should be better than practice that's the whole part of the last part of the book yeah okay folks you can't hear me say this because no one can hear me <laughs> performance should be better than practice i know you didn't hear me no one hears me I mean, it's life-changing when you when you figure that out 
But what happens is we come from this more is more, more is more is more is more. Right. More has to be better because there's more. Yep. You know, there's more. It's got to be better. And yet, it, when they call your name, you you many people just flatline or worse dip down, and it starts this loop that you can't get out of. You, know, I want you to pop, explode, amaze yourself at a competition. And that will build the foundation for the next competition, the next one, the next one. Right. Constantly this kind of spiraling up, you know. And you have to push through that performance anxiety, that nervousness, all of that one time to be able to push through it the second time, to be able to push in, through in it. In the, the book, third I talk time. about the ultimate fighter I worked with, right? Yep. And uh, this guy was, I was getting my. Uh, with his warm up routine. I was getting my leg worked on. Uh, I you know, I have pretty rough hips, you know, and, uh, I'm it's funny. I, I was sure I'd have surgery. The new x-rays say I'm fine, which is just mm. the weirdest thing in the world. It's like somehow I cured. Yeah. Don't, hips. don't argue. Yeah. I'm just keep, <laughs> just keep walking. Thank you, doctor. I'm walking. I'm walking. In fact, the doctor is going to do, was going to do my surgeon is that guy right there. Oh, great. Yeah. He's a very famous person. Um, I had a story. The ultimate fighter you worked with. Oh, thanks. <laughs> Sorry, folks. Uh, and he was telling about this warm-up they would go through for these ultimate fighting matches. And I'd be like, and I go, well, how do you perform? Oh, it's always worse. But I'd lose weight. So finally he had this fight where he's going to lose. You know, sometimes you get picked and you're going to lose. Right, you're, just, right. you're out there to survive three rounds and, you know, Rocky won, make it look like a show. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, he wins because all he does is he just – he rolled around a few minutes and said, well, since I'm going to lose, might as well go out there. Might as well not have five workouts. Right. Well, he upsets this guy in a massive upset, career-changing moment. And it was like, when it was all over, he was like, well, that, wait, wow. So right. He just went back to the thing that he did before practice instead of the thing yeah. that he did before performance. He, he performed instead of just being worked out, right. wrung out. Yep. You know, beaten against the rock. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know why people think that's a good way. Slam your face against the wall is some kind of superior training program. <laughs> I just don't understand that. <laughs> no, I, I'm with you. I'm, we're all with you 100% here. Can we talk about one more thing before sure. we let you go? I don't want to take up too much of sure. your time. I appreciate this, by the way. Um, one of your most famous phrases is something that we've quoted a lot of times, and that's, the goal is to keep the goal the goal. <laughs> okay. Let's go back on that real quick. Yeah. Originally, it was the mission is to keep the mission. Right. The mission. Yep. And that comes from both the religious areas of life and, and the, uh, military. the military. Yeah. And yeah, <laughs> the biggest problem you have in the military is that here is the mission. And there's this thing called mission creep. Okay. You know, Marines are very good. Their standard operating order is if all the officers and sergeants are dead, we attack. Mm -hmm. If something bad happens, uh, we attack. Um, if we're not sure what to do, we attack. Right. So the Marines are very good at this thing called we attack. Yep. But pretty soon you have them teaching a daycare because we don't know what else to do. <laughs> well, that's mission creep. Right. And what happens mm -hmm. is uh, the goal is to keep the goal the goal is probably the most difficult thing I have as a coach, mentor, teacher, whatever, whatever hat it is that day. 
So you said you want to be an elite discus thrower. Yeah, yeah, that's what I want to do. So why are you doing crunches? I want to look good in the summer, coach. Okay, you said you want to be an elite discus thrower. Those crunches actually probably hurt your performance because they're, you know, you, the body is one piece, you know, and yep. we're trying to rotate around this base. Then this base has to be solid, not tired. Right. Okay. You said you wanted to be an elite runner, and yet you're doing 10 sets of 10 in the curl and tricep extension. <laughs> right. Well, yeah, I want to look good on the beach this summer. My arms look good when I run. Your arms look great when you run <laughs> in your last place. I mean, you have a great view of the race. I got to tell you, <clears throat> you have one of the best views of the race of anybody. You can see what's going on up there. Mm -hmm. uh, the goals keep the goal the goal. Uh, I talk to people. The one person who's heard the best is my daughter, my daughter, Kelly. Well, Kelly, when she's a baby, mm -hmm. you know, she wanted to be a school teacher and an administrator. So she, when she went to college, she called me up one day and says, dad, I hate college. And I thought, oh no, don't say that. Would you mind if I went to night school and summer school, get it done sooner? Yes, <laughs> that would be fine. She didn't take a single class that she didn't need. Sure. She took, if it said, I need these 12 things. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Yep. And I, I, I've actually, it's, I've learned things from both my daughters. There's, there's some things. That's the nice. So they're twenty-seven and twenty-five. So they're adults. Yep. And it's kind of cool to be going. Oh, that's pretty. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I'll write a book about that. <laughs> I'll take, I'll take the, you know, the residuals, and you. <laughs> I'll quote you. Uh, she owes you the residuals anyway at yeah. this point. <laughs> so the, the goal is to keep the goal. The goal is one of those things where you know, it, it's hard for the person in the moment. Sure. So if you're my athlete, it's hard for you because you're getting bounced around by friends, family, uh, social stuff, uh, the, the entertainment, you know, you're going to be, you're going to be doing this thing. And all of a sudden you're going to watch, you know, what's that guy's name? Cruz, you know, Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise. sometimes in movies will do climbing things. Yep. Like he'll yep. leap out of a window and, Dubai, Dubai or something, Dubai, <laughs> right, and then right. spin down this thing, crash through another windshield, right? Yep. You know, your poor climbing kid's going to watch that and say, hey, how come I can't just leap off this cliff? Right, right. Well, not only is there gravity, but there's also hard rocks on the bottom 300 feet down there, mm -hmm. and that's going to really ruin your day. Yep. So sometimes as a coach, you have to just let the person finish the sentence and then be the big kid. For sure. Have you, is it something that we run into that I think is, is interesting and i'm curious if this fits into your idea of keep the goal the goal is like when we do get people to go into the weight room and to deadlift and they fall in love with it and they they start spending all their time deadlifting cross-pollination yeah, yeah yeah and pretty soon they're deadlifting you know four times their body weight and we're like you could have just started maintaining your deadlift you know two years ago now you're not climbing as well as you did, but that was the goal originally, yeah. you know? So does that fit into the same? So once you have standards, once you have a person up the right. standard, and then you want to get them to standard as easily as they can, Yep. even less work, take more time off, keep trying to get them at standard, standard. But that's the problem. You, you start to, <laughs> you start to have, well, that's, we added a new thing. We added the weight room. Now we have a new toy. Mm -hmm. And now we have. It's really exciting. You know, you know, one of the hardest things about when I brought kettlebells in was what did I throw out? Right. Uh, when you bring a TRX into your gym, what do you throw out? 
Now for us, the TRX has been a boon because we've been able to throw out a whole bunch of isometric upper body pulling exercises. In fact, we've been able to th get rid of tons of upper body pulling exercises. Don't forget, I, I work with big guys. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. You know, so when we talk about pull-ups, you know, it's a different world for us. Right, right. <clears throat> you know, one time, I, it's called the Beast, a 48K. Yep. 106-pound uh, kettlebell. Yep. I've done a pull-up with that. Wow, one. yep. But don't forget, with my body weight. Your body weight's a lot more than mine. <clears throat> so when I did that thing, and people say, you ever do it again? No. <laughs> so I actually, actually I'm, gonna try, I'm training to try it again. But enough is enough. Right. I don't need to be able to do a beast pull-up except for my ego. Right. But you can't help it because my ego gets in the way of everything. Mm -hmm. So sometimes this, this would be the art of coaching. I have a three-day workshop called The Art of Coaching. And one of the things I try to teach people, it's, well, I'll give you all three real quick. It's what you know. It's how you do it, the application of what you know. Yep. And then the third one, savoir-faire. The ability to, to change directions in a moment. The ability to sense something's wrong with your athlete because of a breakup or flu or something. Sure, and go, whatever it is. But savoir faire is the one, and I, I give them all equal. It's what you know, it's application to do, and then the savoir faire. Because if you don't have all three, you, you, you can't coach. Yeah, you're gonna so fall sometimes flat. when you're working with an athlete and you convince them to lift weights and four years later, that's all they want to do, you then have to have that toolkit to go back in there. And, and and sometimes it's not. It doesn't take a ton. My college coach, the late Ralph Mann, who was a great man, um, you know, I, I'd fallen in love with Olympic lifting. I had become an Olympic lifter who threw the discus. Right. And he was able to quash that out of me a little bit. You know, he was able to show me performance wise, I was the strongest thrower he had ever had in, in his history, mm -hmm. but my performances weren't there. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That's big. I've got a guy right now, actually, who, who just gave me his max weighted pull up numbers. And the number he gave me was 145 pounds. And I said, Is that plus your body weight? And he said, Yeah. And I'm like, Okay, well, we certainly don't need to do any more pulling exercises for ever. Quite a while, so <laughs> I, I imagine this guy can. But he loves it. He loves yeah. loves lifting. He loves doing heavy pull ups, yeah. and it's going to be hard to get him off well, of that path. But and the other thing too, we, we, I always joke about this. You know, if really attractive women come to my gym, I start pressing. <laughs> right, right. Because I'm really good at pressing. Yeah. Yeah, but you would come in and say, "Dan, I thought you're supposed to be doing pull-ups." I'd be like, "But they're hot. They're, do you right. notice how hot they were?" Because <laughs> when I do pull-ups, I am not the alpha. I'm not the king of the hill. I'm not the king of the hill. See how this works? Mm -hmm. uh, I am now like normal. Yep. When he does a 145 pound pull-up, he's the king of the hill. Right. So totally. you're you're asking someone to, but that's part of who we are as coaching, as mentors, yep. is yep. to uh, make sure the goal. Is the goal to keep the goal of the goal? Yeah. yeah, I tell you, that's when I first kind of sort of became famous with that line. I, I remember it was so obvious to me, but so many people saw it as a breakthrough concept. Yeah, yeah, you know? yeah. It's, it's just like you were talking about with now what that you had the material in 1996, just didn't have it all in words and didn't have yeah. names. You know, that's how it feels when I hear those phrases come from you. And I'm like, that's what I've been trying to say all this time. Right. You know? so. Right. 
we had it. We have a good plan. Well, well, it's I use this phrase more than I should, but let me repeat it one more time. The word coach comes from coach. You know, wheels, horse drawn. Right. And so a coach, a coach's job is to take you on that route. Right, sure. So when you do your best job as a coach, <laughs> you're keeping the athlete, uh, you know, Yogi Bear, you know, uh, if you don't know where you're going, you might end up there. You might end up there, yeah. So, you right. know, all those other funny jokes that, you know. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> but the number one job of a coach, and really the word coach is the goal is to keep the goal the goal. Right. You said you wanted to go to Dubuque. Yep. That's where I'm going to take you. Why are you going to Tucson? Mm -hmm. They're they're not the same direction from here. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, that to me is what coaching 101 is, is being a literally a coach in what the word coach means. I tell you one thing, it is well worth your time. If you got coaches and things like that, let me give you another word that's fascinating. Okay. You know, mentor, right? Mentor. Mm -hmm. We use the word. There is no such thing as mentee. Now we use it and keep with it. Right. It comes from the, the Odyssey, that book right over there. Yep. And it's Telemachus's teacher. Ulysses' son, Telemachus, had a teacher named Mentor. And he was so great that three, four thousand years later, we still refer to an honored teacher as Mentor. And I always add that at the talks now, when I can, when it's appropriate. Because what I would love, and I try to tell the audience, four thousand years from now, if your name meant devoted, loving coach, guide, right? you know, what a, you know, wow. I mean, that is just, so, so sometimes taking a few, I, I know it sounds corny to the audience, I'm sure, but sometimes sit when you're, when you get lost as a coach or, or anything you do, just stop and look at the roots, like principle yep. it means to take first. Exactly. So if you want to take first, what do you got to do? Well, discus, throw far. Yeah. That's my principle. Well, there's a lot in the words we use. You know, I think yeah. that's... Sometimes magic. Yeah, absolutely. Sometimes there's magic in there. And I think that that's very true about when when you come to these troubled... Not troubled. These, these athletes that are using more as their paradigm. Sometimes it's our job to say, hop on board. We're going to Dubuque. Mm-hmm. We're not going to Tucson. You said you want... You know, or whatever. Right. Sure. But, yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. That's great. Man, I really appreciate you. Oh, absolutely. Taking the time out. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. I really, and thanks for driving here. And yeah, I'd love to. I'm in town occasionally. I'd love to do it again sometime. Talk some more. No problem. Here in my lovely office uh, with the Mount Olympus in the background. Yeah. I have to. Is that you in the picture with your daughter? Yeah. Yeah. You were young once. (laughs) (laughs) Well, when you go to my gym, there's a lot of young ones. There's, okay, well, that's my mom and dad. Wow. My mom died in 1980. My dad died in 1991. And this is my, right below them is my daughter's wedding. And right there is my daughter's wedding. And so every, well, there's me throwing the shot put. Um, Look how young you are. Well, but you know, my mom and dad were, my my mom never made it to my age. Hmm. My dad barely. And it's that, uh, so that's what keeps me going too. Yeah. The legacy and the. Yeah, you know, the big picture of things. Yeah, yeah, that's where the big success is for you. Yeah, yeah. Awesome, Dan. Well, I appreciate it, man. We'll Thank do you. this thing again. You bet. Appreciate that. I'd say that 
Dan's doing a pretty good job of creating a legacy that will uh, live on for quite some time. He's definitely affected the way that I coach, and I know the way that hundreds, thousands of other coaches approach their jobs, uh, and athletes as well. And I don't know if you guys noticed this, but listening back to this to this interview, I definitely was surprised at how quickly Dan sort of got into the climber's mind. You know, he's, he's not a climber by any means, um, but he was able to recognize these small things that we do, like like obsess over the type of chalk that we're using and, and use that as an excuse. And um, I think that's pretty insightful and doesn't, doesn't happen by accident. That's because Dan's got, you know, 30 years of, 30, 40 years of coaching experience and, and at being a high-level coach with high-level athletes. And, you know, I think that's something that we should really pay attention to. Um, that stuff doesn't happen by accident. So uh, big thanks to Dan. I really appreciate him sitting down and talking to me and just taking the time out. He's a busy guy. Uh, You can find Dan online at danjohn.net. You should definitely subscribe to his Wandering Weights newsletter. And you should check out some of these books. Uh, If you go to our website, powercompanyclimbing.com, click on the blog post for this this podcast and you can buy the books directly through there we get a small kickback from amazon and you're helping support the podcast without raising your prices Um, and we hugely appreciate that support Uh, if you want to directly support you can do that at patreon.com slash power company podcast for as little as a dollar a month you can become a patron of the podcast and we hugely appreciate that you guys are what keep this thing going um You can find us at powercompanyclimbing.com. You can find us on the Instagrams, the Pinterests, uh, and the Facebooks, where you should definitely come and find us, friend us, like us, share all these things that we do. And uh, you can look for us on the Twitter. You won't find us there because we don't tweet. We scream like eagles. This time, 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 this